Hello! Welcome to the Jeff Macalino Podcast. Let's jump right into it. Today I have uh, Jonathan McLernan is my guest, and he is an emotional eating expert. He's lost uh, 100 pounds. He is a trauma survivor. We talk about that. Uh, almost murdered in South Africa. Uh, fascinating story of, I mean, sad story, but, uh, you know, amazing uh, to hear, I don't know, he he's a nutritionist, and he focuses a lot on behavioral psychology, which is so interesting to me, I know in the past, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast many times, that, you know, I want to lose weight, I've done some diets, blah, 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 and I've had people tell me, you're just not mentally in a place where you're, you know, where you're ready to lose a lot of weight. I need to lose about 50 pounds, thereabouts. Um, uh, end up talking a lot about his travels, his uh, uh, surviving this incident in South Africa, uh, and then about his coaching with nutrition. It's fascinating, and uh, a lot of uh, talk about me in this one, too, which I know. That's why you're here. No, I'm, I don't know why you're here. Uh, <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed it. It's a very interesting conversation, and uh, I hope anyone who has any struggles as far as weight loss and stuff like that uh, or really, I feel like it translates to just bad habits. Uh, even if you're thin, if you have a problem with smoking or drinking, like I do, uh, or <laughs> or eating too much pizza, whatever it is, very fascinating. I'm including all of Jonathan's information in the show notes, of course, as always, and. Uh, you know, maybe you'll benefit from uh, reaching out to him as well. Uh, fascinating conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and let me know if you do. All right. Without further ado, here's Jonathan McLernan and me. All right, and now I welcome Jonathan McLernan to the Jeff McAlino Podcast. How are you, Jonathan? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Thank you. Uh, and I do love your background. It, it kind of makes me feel like I'm at home, which I am. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me feel like you're at my home. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to say there's a secret spot in Canada where we have palm trees and, and these beautiful waves and things like that, but uh, I'd probably be lying through my teeth. So <laughs> no, no such luck. <laughs> no such luck. No. We've got to travel south for that. Have you lived in Canada your whole life? Uh, well, apart from spending about three years traveling around the world where we lived, uh, we've lived in about, I think, seven countries total, counting Canada. So Canada, when I say we, I mean my wife, my wife and I. So Canada, Australia, Mexico, Italy, Poland, South Africa. And we kind of count Turkey because my brother lives in Turkey and we've lived with him a couple times for like three months at a stretch. So mm. um yeah, we've uh, and then we spent a lot of time in the UK as well. So the UK is on one side of Europe, and Turkey's on the other side of Europe. So it's kind of like a I, we had we had landing points on both sides. So gotcha. Did uh, when you I'm just curious when you did the traveling and lived in the other countries, did you have a home base still, or did you just say, "Hey, let's drop uh, it all and let's live where we live"? <laughs> a kind of a mixture. So um, it started with so I used to be in the navy, and uh, we decided to pack up our lives. Uh, you know, I, I, I look. Um, I spent six years serving, but um, I say the military breeds divorced alcoholics, and uh, I like my wife, <laughs> and we've now been married for sixteen years. So this is this is going back ten years ago. So I said, you know, what, let's just let's just teach English or something, and so we hopped on a plane to Puerto Vallarta, like packed our stuff in storage, hopped on a plane to Puerto Vallarta uh, without really a plan. <laughs> like, let's see how this goes. So we went inland to Guadalajara in Mexico, and uh, we got teaching down there. Spent about. Uh, six months there um, and kind of traveled around a little bit of Mexico uh, which was pretty neat you know um, I was never that excited about Mexico just because I'm from Canada and it's part of North America and it's like man everyone goes to like you know Cancun or whatever but when we got into like Guadalajara it's not really a tourist destination so I'd like to say we, we lived in kind of more the authentic Mexico 
And, and Mexicans down there, they're just incredibly hospitable. Uh, once they stop chasing your tourist dollars, like they just want to welcome you to your home, treat you like family. Like it was, I really enjoyed it. And I love teaching English to Mexicans down there um, <laughs> because they're, they're so enthusiastic. Um, and, and I can't dance at all. Um, but uh, when, when songs would come on the radio, I'd like pretend to dance and they just like laugh at me and they try to teach me dance moves. I'm, I'm as white as, 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 as you can get. So <laughs> Show them the gringo dance moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so, but then we, we had a home base kind of in Poland for a period of time because we taught English there for a year. Um, whereas when we would live in Italy, it was kind of like we'd go there for the summer and teach English in Italy and travel, travel around there. Um, and in South Africa, we never really actually ended up getting to do a lot of traveling around Southern Africa, the, out of the continent. And we kind of, we'd intended on it, but work ended up being a lot busier than, than we thought. And so, um, it was kind of, it was a mixture. We had one stretch, I think where we went like three months where we didn't spend more than two weeks in one place. Um, and I will say there is something to be said for having like a home base feel like you have somewhere to go home to you know it's cool being like a globetrotting nomad and we covered like 45 countries and five continents but mm. there's something nice about having a place to call home yeah i i always like the idea of traveling in my head uh yeah. but then anytime i'm out it's like i just want to get home <laughs> well i think the, the the glamour of it like it sounded like and, and look it was it was an amazing experience like it really i would call it like a life-changing experience having done the experience so many different countries and cultures and things like that like it really is very eye-opening but it also really highlights the sort of a common humanity in a sense you go to these other countries like you know i'm a foreigner i don't speak the language it shouldn't look like the locals that kind of thing and uh, but really we're all just trying to do the same thing and so in that sense it was it was um it was a really cool experience but like sometimes travel just sucks. Like jumping on airplanes, trying to get you know hours spent waiting in airports because of flights delayed. Um, you know, getting on jam-packed trains where people are just crammed on like cattle in cars. Like it's not always uh, quite so glamorous as I don't know some maybe Instagram travel photographer might like lead you to believe. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember we went to Fiji and um, you know we went to this little island resort and. You know, it looks really beautiful, and you walk on the back side of the island, it's like what they use for a garbage dump, and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's paradise. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, When I went on a cruise, <clears throat> one of the stops, I think it was Costa Maya in Mexico, and uh, instead of doing one of the typical tourist excursions, I found a dude and rented a golf cart from him and drove Beauty. quite a distance, <laughs> and it gets shitty real fast when you leave the tourist area. <laughs> oh, it does. It was like that in Cuba. Um so we, we got like a resort, a hotel, not a resort, like we got a, a room at a hotel in a resort. Like we like bought an entire resort. You just, just booked the whole thing out, yeah. Um, we got it in Veradero and um, we paid someone at the time, it was like five. So they had like a, a Cuban peso and a convertible peso. And the convertible, the Cuban peso is only for Cuban nationals. And the convertible peso is like the tourist currency. And it's kind of pegged or at that time it was connected to the US dollar. And so we paid five convertible pesos. Now, to, to put context on, I think the wage their wage was somewhere around like thirty convertible pesos a month. So it was really like a, a, it went to like a dollar a day. It's going back a few years, and uh, so we paid someone five bucks to uh, take us on a tour outside the resort and got, go go see like the real Cuba and and really like see what it's actually like. And it, it is it's pretty rough. Um, and five bucks, it was great. Like, and and uh, some dude walked into a metal gate, like one of those great style gates, um, checking out my wife because she's white and has blonde hair, curly blonde hair, and it was like, I think it was just such an odd sight to see her in this part of like you don't come to this part. We took a tourist, like a, not a tourist, a workers' bus, and we were the the only two white people and the, all these like Cuban workers in their in their sort of grubby work clothes, and they were nice to us. There was like there's no threat at all. You know, they hmm. they were just kind of we're just kind of an oddity. Like, did you get lost and somehow take the wrong bus here? Like, what happened? You know, and uh, but we got a pineapple for like ten cents. You know, it was just crazy and so it was it was really neat to see the actual country and how the people actually live versus what's portrayed in say like a tourist brochure right right that is the i have a friend who has been traveling the globe quite a bit even you know with covid going on it made things more difficult but uh, he yeah. and his wife travel and they show me all these pictures of things where it's like huh you would not ever see that in a book and yeah. it's interesting yeah there, there's things that just just surprise you, I guess. And maybe, maybe it shouldn't, but you know, I go back to Fiji where they just like throw garbage in the streets. Like, 
like, uh, or, or same thing in South Africa. Um, you know, we got a bus somewhere and, and they do like fried chicken in South Africa. KFC's made, you know, uh, a lot of money in South Africa, I will say. Um, <laughs> but then, one of his, one of his uh, things when he travels, anytime he sees a KFC in a foreign country, he sends me a picture. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they would, um, they'd eat the, the KFC and they'd throw their chicken bones on the floor of the bus. So you'd be walking over chicken bones, like, wow. um, as you're getting off the bus and their, their idea was, well, I'm creating a job for somebody. That was, that was, that was their logic. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's got to think there'd be some bacterial problems. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Hygiene, you know, wasn't necessarily held in the highest regard there. But, you know, like, it's, it's just, you know, a different way of living, I guess. And different, a completely different mentality. Yeah, it, it's, I guess it's, if you think about it, it's, you know, everyone's gone to their friend's house where everything is perfectly clean and organized and there's not a speck of dust anywhere in the house. Yeah, but you never want to sit on the couch then. You're like, oh my gosh. Oh, right. <laughs> and then you've gone to the other house where it's like the dishes are piling out of the sink and it's like this person hasn't cleaned their house maybe ever. Yeah, like I always try to nuzzle in between like, those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, want to, you want to go somewhere that like feels like you can make yourself at home, but it feels like there's a little bit of care that goes into it, you know? So I think we would fall into that category in our place. You know, we, we've got a, we've got a young one. Uh, he's just uh, five months old, and so like life is a little bit busy. Like learning to adjust. We're first time parents, we're learning to adjust to that. And so I'm like, things don't look perfectly pretty. Things might not be dusted and stuff like that. But you'll still be made to feel welcome, and there probably won't be a pile of dishes with um, a herd of flies buzzing around. So yeah, you you got to get to the dishes before the flies. That's yeah. that's that's my personal rule. <laughs> I'll well, let them soak, but. <laughs> I would think you'd probably get, um, cause a little more tropical down there than it is up here. See the one thing about having a winter where it gets cold and like really cold and snow on the ground and stuff like that is the insects, a lot of them die off or go into some sort of like hibernation type state and you don't see them for six or eight months of the year. Boy, that would be nice. So, the, other, the other thing that's kind of handy is if you run out, if you run out of freezer space, <laughs> you just stick it in the snow in your backyard. <laughs> Like how stereotypical? We can't do it right now because it, it's it'd be the equivalent of a, uh, like in the mid nineties right now. Like it's pretty hot here. That's the other thing. We have huge temperature fluctuations, so yeah. we would go from like really cold, like sub zero, um, to uh, really warm. Like we can get where my parents live can get up to over a hundred, hundred and seven, hundred and eight. So, but a lot of people don't think about Canada that way. No, well that's uh, where I live. St. Petersburg is a peninsula attached to a peninsula of the state of Florida. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think I had heard we in St. Petersburg have never even gotten to 100 degrees. Uh, really? We, we'll get it. Feels like 120 degrees with the humidity, but the actual temperature because all of the <laughs> breeze and the water kind of keeping us a little bit cooler. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're kind of a, a, a weird little ano anomaly. Sounds uh, like a, like kind of a really nice place to be, like a really moderate climate. Then, other than maybe the humidity. Yeah, it can be pretty oppressive. Uh, you, you just. You know, for six months out of the year, you're just going to be wet constantly, <laughs> especially if you're yeah. if you're a larger fella. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you, you glisten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely do better like in in Canada than Australia, like because Australia is very hot uh, as well. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they they have down there south, which because in the southern hemisphere, their south gets a bit cold, but up in the north, like where her parents lived there for like 15 years, and we'd we'd fly into there and. You know, you go in the middle of winter here, say in December or January, and it's the middle of summer there. So you go from like minus 40 Celsius, which is actually I think minus 40 Fahrenheit. They actually meet up there, I think. You go from like minus 40 to, you know, plus 40 and humidity, which would be like over 100 plus, you know, 100% humidity. It's just really, it's very hard to adjust to. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, temperature swings can be... Can be crazy. Then sort of like jet lag too, because it's a really weird sort of time difference, like seventeen hours, and so it's not really a clean sort of time switch either. Yeah, I you know what? When I started recording podcasts, is when I realized I'm decent with American time zones, but I'm really dumb when it comes to international time zones. <laughs> it takes me fifteen minutes of googling and looking at clocks to make sure I'm scheduling things at the correct time. Yeah, it's. Yeah. It's uh, it's bad. <laughs> so uh, I, I didn't, I don't know how much you uh, like to talk about this aspect. So we don't need to go in depth if you do not want to. But one of the things I read uh, on you was about uh, surviving basically an attempted murder in South yeah. Africa. Yeah, well, it was 
just over, we just passed the 10 year anniversary of it. So um, yeah, it was 10 years ago, and I've done I've done the work, so I can I can talk about it. Uh, I'm fairly fairly open about it. But, um, so we were we were working for an NGO, um, non government organization. They were they were government funded, but a private organization working with underprivileged youth essentially. So we were um, teaching them young uh, life skills, helping them become more employable, that kind of stuff. And we were working out on a, a nature reserve. And this actually, so this had nothing to do with our students at all. Um, but the way the way the sort of reserve was laid out, there was the, in kind of an L shape, and so you would have the dining hall at the top of the L, then you'd have the dormitory, then the bathrooms, and then tucked off to the side, away from like furthest away from the dining hall was the the instructor's cabin, and that's that's where we were. So it was a it was a Monday night, and everyone was in the dining hall eating dinner and just having a good time, that kind of thing. And uh, it was, it's winter over there, so short days. So it was about 6, 6.30 at night. And uh, so it was dark. And I would just walk back to the cabin by myself. Everyone else, like literally everybody else was in the dining hall. And uh, the, the door was slightly ajar. And it didn't, it, something should have clicked. But of course, I was in the middle of nowhere, like on a nature reserve. Like, why, why would I be thinking about that? And then I opened the door and there's three guys in the cabin. And they're actually sitting at the table eating um, rusks, which is like a hard biscuit that you dip in tea. Um, and that threw me off a little bit because one of them, I was like, I recognized one of the faces and it turns out he was one of the rangers on the nature reserve. But there was a fourth guy that I didn't see. Mm. And he was outside the cabin. And this is dark. They're, it's dark. They're dressed in black. They're black. Like the only thing that shines is their teeth if there's a bit of light on it kind of thing. And first clock over the head, like with a, a rock or a brick, like just crack and all of a sudden I'm reeling and trying to figure like, what is happening, you know? And there is that moment where I think my brain, like the brain goes into denial. And I was like, this isn't real. This can't be happening, you know? And then you get hit again and hit again and knocked mm. down and started getting kicked and stomped and like screaming for help. And nobody was hearing it. Right. Know? And, and uh, they had a knife, but I was very fortunate they didn't stab me um, because uh, like the, the HIV and AIDS um, epidemic over there is, is very serious. Like I, I would... I would estimate 60 to 80% of the population actually has like HIV. And so there's a high risk of transmission there. Um, so anyways, uh, they're, they're, they're basically stomping me and their idea is to beat me to death. Right. Um, they, I, I found out they'd done that like the night before to another guy and succeeded, unfortunately. Um, and uh, fortunately, I'm a pretty big guy and, you know, but I'm bloodied and I'm concussed and I'm seeing stars and I mean, just in total shock that this is even happening to me. Like why, but I managed to sort of fight my way to my to my feet and and break free from them, and oh, wow. uh, kind of stagger, stumble, run over to the to the dining hall where everybody else is. And for some reason, they didn't pursue me. I I don't know why. Maybe they just thought, well, whatever, we'll just get back to him. <laughs> like, you know, maybe they went back to oh, let's just keep ransacking his cabin or something. So I managed to get into the dining hall, and the, you know, my face is covered in blood, and I'm dirty and bruised, and you know, I'm like, there's I've been attacked. There's there's guys out there. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how many there are. Like, you know. And, all, and, and so we had probably 20, 25 students with us. And there was myself and my wife were instructors. And uh, there was one other lady that was sort of helping out. And so we ended up barricading ourselves in the dining hall. Because, um, again, we don't know how many are out there. Sometimes they travel in roving gangs of, I don't know, 15 or, or more. And uh, so we're, we're kind of trapped in there. But I realized we're, we're like sitting ducks. Because if they do have guns, which thankfully they didn't. But if they did, they would have right. shot us through the windows. It's just like picked us off one after another. And so they did try to break down the doors. They had shovels and they were trying to smash the doors down. But in South Africa, they have um, like bars and uh, across all windows and doors and things for this reason. Mm. And, uh, you know, my wife was incredibly brave in this. You know, she got like some of the ladies like boiling water and arming them with pots and pans and things and, and pushed a fridge against one door. Like we were getting ready for war. Like we were getting ready to, we didn't know how many there were and if they were going to break through, like what was going to happen. And it was very, you know, I was like sort of half coherent right well, right yeah and so i had a, I armed myself with a fork um <laughs> that, that's something that sticks out of my mind is i remember like slump being kind of slumped on the floor um try, trying to figure out what it just trying to sort of the whole mess and i had a fork and i was i don't know I was gonna kill somebody with a fork or something i don't know um <laughs> just an ordinary fork too not like one of those big spaghetti ones or <laughs> yeah 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 and so it was, it was so interesting, like reflecting back on the different responses, like some of the men were like screaming and crying and like trying to hide in the pantry. Mm. Um, and others were like, you know, dra literally dragging moping, like we're men, we fight, we defend our women, that kind of stuff. Like South Africa is very different culturally um, than, than, than North America. And so um, 
anyways, uh, thankfully, we, someone had, hadn't had their cell phone stolen because they, they went through and ransacked the entire dormitory as well and took like a bunch of stuff from the students and so on. But someone had their cell phone on them and managed to call the police. Now, the police in South Africa are not like the police here. They don't care. They literally have the job to get paid. But it was our lucky day. There was a senior police officer walking by a phone when it rang and he answered it and they actually dispatched a couple people. But it took them probably 30 to 40 minutes to get out there. And the problem is you could see the lights flashing from like 20 minutes away because we could see across the valley. Um, and so the, the, the guys, the attackers, they knew um, the cops were coming. <laughs> and so they just kind of melted into the bushes. Mm. And uh, yeah, That's... when the cops got – oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. That that was the thing I was thinking. Is there is there even authorities to call? And then you obviously yeah. need medical attention as well. Yes. I mean, I presumably. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so um, they they showed up, and they weren't even going to take statements. They're like, "Oh, he didn't die. Oh, okay. Uh, nobody got raped. Okay. Um, yeah, no big deal. We'll just we'll just." And we're like, and thankfully, my wife was like, "No, <laughs> you are going to take statements. These people saw their faces and so on." But they went and um, they dropped uh, like an MP3 player that I'd had, and one of the cops just went and grabbed it, like barehanded. You know, it's like thank you for tainting the evidence. You know, <laughs> just they they just they just didn't care, and they were incompetent, frankly. Like <laughs> compared to what you'd see on CSI or something, everything's so meticulous. They they just didn't. But the thing is, they didn't really care. Right. Like they showed up because they had to, and they were like, okay, it looks like they're gone. We're just gonna leave now. We're like, no. You aren't leaving until we get some transportation out here. None of us are staying here. They're hiding in the bushes, like waiting. And um, so we had the cops go and look around. They actually found an external hard drive of mine, which worked out in my favor because we had some photos stored on there and things. They stole everything of ours, like probably like three grand worth of stuff. Mm. We weren't like just, I mean, that would be like the cost of like replacing everything. Like we had a lot, you know, a couple laptops and stuff like that. And so, right. but the, anyways, uh, so they, they did find that, but again, they just grabbed it with their bare hands and like contaminated it with finger. Like it's just, they weren't even trying. And so, um, but when we look back, there were some things that should have like, but again, you don't think about it. The Monday morning when we got there, because we went back into town, the town that we're living in for the weekend and someone else came out and supervised the, the students. Um, when we came back on the Monday morning, we're like, man, our cabin's a little bit messy. We should like, we'll let, we'll let this, uh, the organizer know so she can let the weekend supervisors like, let them know, like, leave our cabin a little bit tidier. But really, I think what happens, they'd ransack the cabin, but our stuff wasn't there. And they'd come back to, like, ransack it again. And now there was helicopters flying overhead um, throughout the day, but we didn't think about it again. But I guess because they'd actually beaten the guy to death the night before, like, they were, they beat his head in, essentially. Um, but they didn't warn us. Like, they didn't be like, hey, by the way, on the neighboring farm, like, a dude was beat to death. They and they're on the loose still. <laughs> and, they're, and they're on the loose and we haven't found them. And it's like they don't talk about it because like, oh, people might find out that we're incompetent or something. I don't know. It was just baffling, like an entire, like a baffling situation. And so from then on out, that happened only like two weeks after we arrived in South Africa. And, you know, we're pretty seasoned travelers and we understood like South Africa has some violence issues and things, but that was shortly after the World Cup and we thought they'd improve security and stuff like that. But that was only for show. Uh -huh. Um and, you know, we were connected to local South Africans and things. And so we, we did everything. Like, there's nothing we could have done to avoid it. Um, but after an incident like that, you, we often feel guilty. Like, how, how could we have not known? How, because hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, there was all these things that should have, like, you know, twigged us, but it didn't. And so, um, and there was more incidents. Like, the house that we lived in got broken into, I think, 13 times over a five-month span. Like, we just got so, like, angry eventually. You just get so frustrated because nobody does anything. And like we, we hired private security because the police are totally incompetent and private security are usually armed and angry. Um, like, <laughs> and they, sh they, they legitimately shoot to kill. Um, they show up and, and they're going to kill you because if they don't, they might get killed. Like that's the hostile, like it's, it's a not the same. Like if you went over there as a tourist, you probably wouldn't see any of this. They would, they would like give you a very sanitized experience of South Africa because South Africa is so beautiful. Like this incredibly gorgeous, like wildlife scenery, nature, coastlines, like it's so beautiful. And when I describe it like this, the thing is most South Africans, um, black or white or colored or Asian or, you know, because there's, there's quite a mix of people that live in South Africa. Most of them are really good people. Like you would think that the entire country is just these, these roving thugs. It's not. 
but they have a massive crime problem, a massive violence problem. Like Johannesburg is like the murder capital of the world. Right. Um, so it's, it's it, like, but this stuff doesn't really leak out of South Africa, um, but it's a very violent country. And so, but everyone over there just kind of is used to it. Like they live in prison. You have, we had six foot brick walls with razor wire on top. Like that's, that's what you have. And then you have bars on your doors and bars on your, on your windows. And as you go through the house, you have locks on every room. It's not to stop them because you can't just kick the door. It's to slow them down as they're moving through your house. So it gives you a little bit of time to react. And you have panic buttons beside your bed and weapons beside your bed. So that if they break in, you know, you so have a chance. It was, it, so for someone who grew up in small town in Canada, you know, where, you know, everybody, and you're not afraid to walk down the street at night, like, you know, to, to, to go to that where you're basically living in prison, like it was very, that, that in itself was traumatizing. And I won't, I won't describe some of the other things that happened just, just for sake of time, but there was, there was a number of other incidents that happened that eventually we just like, we can't take this anymore. We had to leave. Like we're going to have nervous breakdown because we like we would sleep in, in shifts, my wife and I, you know, somebody mm-hmm. was awake all the time. Um, one of us would be awake because we were like, we have to be awake and alert for what's going on. You know, you hear a tree branch scrape, scrape against the window or something. And you're like, like, who's out there kind of thing. Yeah. And you're, you're never getting deep sleep. No. And so to, to live in that kind of environment and part of the reason why we stayed because people was like, why, why didn't you just leave? Um, for two reasons. One, we loved the work that we did. Like it actually felt like we were doing something that was making a difference. And so like we knew of the 20, we had um, cohorts of 25 that would come through. And we knew that of the 25, we might make a difference in three of their lives. But that felt like we were actually doing something meaningful, you know, um, because we recognize that we come from a privileged country. Like my wife comes from Australia. I come from Canada. And so I don't know. We just, we felt like we were doing it. It felt good to help somebody. And we also felt like, you know, we have the option of hopping on a plane and going back to a first world country. These people don't. Like the black South Africans suffer. They suffer this violence. There's a lot of, because there's there's eight different ethnic black groups in South Africa. There's not just like one homogenous, no, there's eight different ethnic groups because none of them are from there. They all migrated down there and killed off the indigenous South Africans, actually. Um, that doesn't get talked about either. They nearly like, like a genocide. Um, that doesn't get talked about in the history books though. But because there's such a mixture of cultures um, and languages and cultural differences, there's a lot of violence between these these different ethnic groups as well because they hate each other. They have different rituals for transitioning into manhood or different rituals for transitioning into womanhood. And if you didn't do this one or that one, you know, if you didn't get circumcised with a rusty razor blade in the mountains when you're 17 years old, you're not a man. That's one of them, you know? Like, and some of them die from infection having that done to them. Oof. Like. Right. So it's just stuff that we don't even think about. And, and we might say like, that's, that's like ridiculous, but they've been doing this for, I don't know, thousands of years, who knows. And so it's, it's their culture. Who am I to say whether it's, it's better or worse, you know? Um, but that, that's the kind of world it is. And, and so it's, it's immensely eye opening to walk into that and, and, you know, see, this is the reality of the situation. Yeah. That's, uh, extreme and and you've given me sympathy pains too which is <laughs> now so go ahead well i was going to say the other thing I'll, I'll say is like um i'm at the place in my life where i'm actually grateful for the experience um and it's not that i would wish it on anybody i wouldn't ask for it again i'm grateful obviously because i survived but it really it, it like it, it changed my life it caused me to like i went through a period of like depression and anxiety i was traumatized i ate ate my way to 330 pounds like i i didn't know how to deal with any of this stuff and so i had i had a long road back from going through something like that but i wouldn't be where i am today doing what i do today if i if if it hadn't been for something like that and and the, the struggles and the fallout from that that's a, a very i love that you said that because i i always uh, I've not had anything nearly that traumatic happen to me ever, fortunately. Um, but, you know, I've had my moments of, uh, of uh, everybody has their embarrassing moments or their frustrating moments or Absolutely. the time you're on your buddy's boat and the steering cable snaps and your face goes through the windshield. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, every, everything's like, well, I'm still here. Nothing severely scarred me or injured me. You know, it's a good story at this point. If if you can, and, and you know, if you can uh, realize that 
and again, obviously, it was nothing that extreme uh, ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is something to be said. Like, there's no permanent damage necessarily. I mean, mentally, you yeah. know, that's a that's a different game. But I I do think sometimes people get a little too. Uh, even with with obviously smaller things, I think people get a little too upset about this, uh, like being having happened to them. Where it's like you could look at it as I survived it. Yep. Uh, you know, well, maybe learned like, something, maybe didn't. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, in the beginning, it's tempting to make it about me, about Jonathan, and how dare they do this to me the special human being that I am. Right. The truth is it has nothing to do with me. Nothing. Nothing to do with Jonathan, the person. My ego wanted to make it about me. But really, at the end of the day, it was, I was a representation of something they felt had historically oppressed them. And that's that's their issue to deal with. Um, that's their reality. And in their eyes, they weren't even doing something necessarily wrong. They were taking back something they felt had been taken from them. They didn't realize I was not South African. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. Right. And so it wasn't about me. And I think as I realized that, maybe that started the process of moving to the place of forgiveness and compassion for those who did that to me. And that sounds like maybe for some people a very extreme thing to do. But ultimately forgiveness was about setting myself free so that I could speak about it like this or I can go forward with my life basically and not be re-traumatized every time I really have the incident. You you kind of mentioned a, a segue point too of uh, you you ate your way to three hundred thirty pounds and I know you've lost at least a hundred pounds yep. since then. Um, I don't think it gets talked about enough, and I think it sounds like you you do talk about this. Is the mental? Yep. Uh, I'm someone myself who I've I'm perpetually fifty to sixty pounds overweight. And, you know, I talk about losing weight. I go on diets here, there. I lose weight. I gain it back. Um, somebody said to me once, you know, you need to be mentally ready to actually commit to losing weight to do it. You can't just be half-ass, you know, half-in. Um, what, what do you yeah. think about that? Well, here, here's what I would say. Um, like the diet mentality, like the diet culture, uh, you know, um, that this has existed for a very long time. But the, here's the fatal flaw. It says, I will get permanent results from a temporary effort. I'll temporarily change my behavior until I achieve my goal, and then I'll go back to doing what I was doing before so I can enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. that, that is literally why we get stuck in the yo-yo diet cycle where we lose weight, gain it, lose it. And I went through that. I, how long did it take me to lose 100 pounds? Six years. Could I have, if I knew what I know now, could I have done it much faster? Theoretically, yes depending on how my, my life went, because we, when we try to lose weight, for example, or transform our health, we do this in real life. We don't, it's like we, I would get this idea that if I was going to lose the weight, that somehow the universe was going to conspire to make my life easier so I could do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Stuff's still going to happen. You know, get injured, have to retire from a trade. I was, I was a powerline technician, you know, um, my wife had to go back to Australia for a year and we had to be separated for a period of time while she was waiting on her permanent residency, things like that. Just it's, it's done in real life, navigating real life circumstances. The other part of the puzzle is you actually have to create permanent change if you want permanent results. So you have to build a new way of living. So that for most people is really difficult because they're like, well, I kind of like food is a source of joy and comfort and fun and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I don't want to have to like only eat boring, healthy food for the rest of my life. And so that's why we keep going back because the alternative seems too miserable. And we're not, we're only going to, we can only suffer through misery for so long, whether it's three months or six months or something like that, or even less, you know, before we go, no, I want to go back to it. So if you're going to, you have to have a really good reason why you want to do this. There has to be because change by nature is uncomfortable and the way that our nervous system is wired, we we're wired to seek comfort and to avoid pain. So right. you, you might've heard it said that we don't truly change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I have heard that. That's so, uh. well, it, it, 
<laughs> it resonates. Uh, so, I, weird question, maybe. I don't know. The, I think one thing personally I deal with, but I think everyone who tries to diet or change their lifestyle, I, yeah. I, I think the word diet is probably a Sure. We, a bad, we know what it means. Yeah. It's... Um, a lot of a lot of these diets have very rigorous rules, meaning you know yeah. the keto diet. You can't touch a carbohydrate, or you're gonna. Oh my gosh! If you, yeah. Don't you dare touch a carbohydrate. <laughs> and, and you know it's. Uh, I, I guess this is a personal thing. I'm Italian, so I could never yeah. go on a diet where I could never have pizza or lasagna or you know pasta like it's yeah been my family's holiday meals for my entire life i'm never gonna say right. nope mom i can't have pizza uh so i think that mentally is like well if i'm gonna eat pizza then what's the point of being miserable the rest of the month yeah, um exactly. that's the hard part i don't know if you have any ideas on uh or tricks <laughs> or, or advice even well, well the thing is, again, most you, you hit on something. Why most diets actually fail is because they, if you say, okay, today I'm going keto. Well, you've just imposed about 25 different rules immediately on yourself. You've literally strapped yourself into a straitjacket. <laughs> well, human beings value independence and autonomy. And so it's not going to be very long before you're trying to fight your way out of this, this dietary straitjacket. And then you're going to start cheating on your diet or, or whatever. And I don't like that word. I'm like you're not cheating on anything, you know? So we don't do good when we dump a bunch of arbitrary rules into our lap and say, starting today, you have to follow all of these rules perfectly and so on. And that's, that's you know, the issue with say something like keto. Can keto be effective? Yeah, of course it can. Um, because it basically cuts out sugar and junk food, you know, mm -hmm. bacon and cheese. So there's a degree of effectiveness going to be there. Is your life going to be miserable? Probably for most people because carbohydrates are delicious. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing inherently, there's nothing inherently bad about carbohydrates per se, right? The issue is really we have an, we have an overabundance of food available to us in North America. Um, so diets diets will always fail. And the way that I approach it, so I have a program, for example, it's called Lifestyle 180, and it's a 180-day program. The goal behind this is actually, I, is, I say, is like a reverse nutrition progression approach. What I mean is, rather than imposing a whole bunch of rules on you all at once, what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to build skills. So we know like the fundamental principles of being healthy, right? You know, you're probably going to eat vegetables. You're probably going to, you know... Um, lean protein, you're probably going to limit your sugar intake and junk food intake, that kind of stuff. You're probably going to in incorporate some sort of activity into it. But if you're going to do this successfully, you have to craft that lifestyle. You have to do it. You have to, you know, and so my goal is to like empower people to do this. Let's reverse engineer your lifestyle. I'm going to work with you while you implement these practices and shape them to suit how you want to live your life. Not... You're going to live your life how I dictate to you. That's the other thing. Most diets are like, it's like me saying, I'm going to tell you how you have to live the rest of your life. Right. Well, good luck. <laughs> right. I'm a nice guy, but you're going to start to resent that pretty soon. Yeah. I think uh, that's an interesting thought too, is a lot of times, uh, at least personally, and maybe this is just a personal attitude or philosophy, I almost want to be like, oh, you say that, but I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, you, you. You just got to witness my biggest uh, weight loss uh, issue. I realize it's only one thirty, so that's that's all right. You're you're recording a podcast, and so I think um, you know, I, I just noticed you finished your beer, so I was like, oh well, hopefully. It's oh no, that was whiskey too. It was just in a pint oh, glass. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. So obviously, there is um, alcohol does make things more challenging, but um, again, you can you, you want to figure out what your trade offs are, right? So if you enjoy drinking whiskey, fantastic. Um, drink drink whiskey, but learn how to, if, if you struggle to regulate your consumption of it, um, maybe it's something you need to look at. What is, why am I struggling to regulate my consumption? What role does it play in my life? So like overeating is really only a symptom. Like it's a behavior, but it's only a symptom. That's not necessarily the actual root cause of why people are overweight. It's, it's a behavior, but if we can understand why that behavior is happening, because that's the other thing. Like, food is not just fuel. People will go out there and be like, food is just fuel. Ah! And I'm like, okay, what you're trying to do is you're basically trying to emotionally, like, shut down. You're trying to suppress everything you feel around food. Our earliest memories are around food. Like, my, my five-month-old son, you should see his face light up when he knows he's going to nurse. Like, mm -hmm. he's like, woohoo, I'm getting fed. You know, it's a bonding experience between him and his mom. 
you think about like you're Italian. I've lived in Italy, and um, I I know how important food is historically. As you travel around Italy, like different regions have different dishes and cultures, and there's a lot of pride and history. And so food is social, food is culture, food is history, food is family. It's so many things besides just fuel. But there, and it should continue to be that because eating is inherently an enjoyable experience. But we want to maybe change how we approach that. So again, if I work with somebody, we're not just going to focus on what you eat because that's what again most diets do. Here's what you have to eat. It seems like so cold and like disconnected from reality. It's like, well, look at like what you eat, when you eat, why you eat, how you eat, who you eat with. Like, what is your entire experience around food? And if we can't shape it in a way that's going to be enjoyable for you, nothing's going to stick. And and so because of all the struggles I went through, you know, losing weight, gaining it, losing it, gaining it back, and and feeling depressed because I felt like a failure and a loser, and why can I not just do this even though I know what to do? That's the other hiccup. It's like this is not an information problem. We live in the age of Google. You right. can just Google how to lose weight, and you'll be shown like tens of millions of results. Not that you look at them all. Like just an overwhelming amount of information. So maybe that's the only information issue is there's so much conflicting information out there. Yes. But really, it's an implementation problem. How do we how do we take what we know and build it into our way of living, in a way that feels realistic? You still enjoy your life, and so on. And so it boils down to again, there needs to be something you want to do. So in my case, um, I have a five month old, and I'm 39. He's going to be one, and I'm going to be 40. So I'm an older dad. Yeah. I got to manage my health because he's going to get more and more active. He's going to want to run and play and wrestle. And if I can't keep up with him. I can't be present in his life. You, you right. know, so when I walk past that big old bag of chips at Costco, I look at my son and go, what do I want more? A bag of chips or to be present in my son's life? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I want to be the dad that can be present with him. That's uh, that's it. We, we went different routes on that. Not that it was intentional, but I, yeah. I, uh, I, I actually wrote down earlier uh, your joke and I was going to spit spit a joke back at you you said about the military breeding uh, divorced alcoholics and i'm like well i was never in the military but i can i'm still a divorced alcoholic <laughs> that didn't stop me uh, but i had my kids at uh, 23 and 25 um okay. so i'm gonna be 43 when my youngest son is an adult <laughs> yeah. um and i'm divorced so uh, it's an interesting um uh, I, I, you know, interesting way that plays out because you, uh, I wasn't able to do all the traveling and stuff that, that you did. You yeah. know, if you had a young child, you wouldn't have been able to do all of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, now the flip side is presumably if I, you know, don't kill myself because, you know, the yeah. last three days, the <laughs> only thing I've put into my body is whiskey and pizza. I got a I got a, a Sicilian deep dish pizza, and it lasted me three days, uh, yeah. and and whiskey and uh, a yeah. couple cups of coffee this morning. So, <laughs> yeah, well, well, the alcohol, the blood alcohol, um, can act as a bit of a disinfectant, if I can put it that way. It's a bit of a crude way of putting it, but um, <laughs> you know, there, there there is that element to it. So maybe not all the pathogens can survive with the alcohol circulating around in your blood. So, you know, we could try and put a positive spin. If the pizza has tomato sauce on it, cooked tomatoes are a great source of like magnesium and lycopene and vitamin A and vitamin C and so on, right? So there is some, you know, the cheese is a source of like calcium and some protein and, and so on and so forth, right? We can sort of piece it together. But yeah, you know, the, the bigger question would be like, wh why is that happening if you, if you don't want it to happen? Because ultimately, if you want that to be the way that you go, like then the way that you live, then who am I to who am I to come here and say you should live differently, right? You know that's interesting because you you said it earlier. What my goal is always, and I'm not actively. I understand that at the very this very moment, I'm not mentally prepared to lose a ton of weight. I'd just yeah. like to maybe drop a few and and not gain weight while I'm you know while I'm well, preparing myself. Well, let's but, ask the question: Why do you want to drop a few? Uh, so I can look better. That's almost entirely it. Uh, okay. so why do you want to look better? You know, things are opening up again. I wouldn't mind getting laid a little more than I have over the last year and a half. Let's, <laughs> right. let's be honest, man. <laughs> right. Of course. So, but this is, that's a valid reason. So, but here's what we get to.
do right like and i was just sort of i just switched over to coach mode temporarily for half a second there i was like okay let's let's figure what's going on because if that's a motivating factor for i don't care what your motivating factor is you know if it's like if you want to look shredded and make your ex jealous great let that power your transformation if if you're wanting to get some action great let that power your like let that be your reminder this is why i'm doing this you know that like who are we kidding like sex drive is a powerful like motivator for us to do things. Yeah. Um, I still like to look good for my wife. Like, let's be real, you know? So it, you don't have to have this noble aspiration. It's like whatever it is that lights a fire under your butt that goes, this is why I want this, you know? Cool. And, well, and, and part of it too, though, is a, a lot of, a lot of the motivation also comes from, well, right now I'm about 260. If I weighed 210 pounds right now, and I'm 6'2", so that's about yeah, yeah, yeah. what I should weigh is around 210. Give or take, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel bad about, yeah, all I've eaten for two days is pizza. I wouldn't feel bad if I was 210. At 260, yeah. it's like, ah, oh, you fat slob, why did you eat that? You didn't need to eat those last three pieces. You could have waited till today and you spread it out another day. <laughs> Right, right. So the, then the question is, well, why didn't you eat them? Uh, it, well, I, I can tell you 100%. It's the, 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 the same reason that, that this is always ingested. It gave me comfort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And so what we say is, is or what I like to say to people is that um, compassionate awareness is the first step to change. So there's a lot of behaviors that occur under the radar like we don't really think about why we do it we just do it you know an example i often give is when you drive from one place to another and you've done that drive many times over and one day you just do that drive and you get there and you're like holy crap i don't even remember driving here how did i get here safely yeah yeah another part of your brain took over and you ran the, that circuit on autopilot <laughs> well so a lot of our behaviors are like that where we don't really know like how or why or what we're just this is what i'm doing and so I was just asking a couple of probing questions, for example, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're comfortable just kind of sharing openly on air. That's cool. <laughs> right. Like, let's be real. This is, this, is, this is like the real humanity of trying to create changes. Like, let's figure out what's going on. Let's, let, but let's stop creating judgment around this because I would say, you know, does calling yourself a fat slob actually motivate you to change? No. Or, no, no, it's going to make you feel like crap. <laughs> yes. actually, right. It'll make you feel like crap. And then it'll make you want to eat junk food to comfort yourself. <laughs> you right. are 100% correct. <laughs> right. And so it's like, oh, when we switch. So that's why I use the word compassion. So compassion is not a get out of jail free card. It's like, okay, if, you, if you're like your third whiskey bottle, your third, you know, two, six or whatever into the day, like, I'm not going to say keep on piling it on because you had a hard day, right? <laughs> that's not helping you. But on the same token, I'm not going to say like, you're a fat, lazy loser. I'm going to say, let's figure out what's happening here. Let's actually understand this. And so one of the steps of creating change is to bring some of your unconscious or subconscious behaviors back into your awareness. Oh, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Now, if I'm going to change that behavior, like let's say drinking whiskey or eating pizza, they're like a solution to a problem. You go, I feel uncomfortable. I eat pizza. I feel better. Your brain goes, sweet, that was pretty easy. <laughs> now we have a solution to the problem of feeling uncomfortable. We'll it's a life hack. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, the unfortunate aspect of it is it has this side effect of causing weight gain. So that's a different type of uncomfortable. I kind of feel like just, just it's not overwhelmingly uncomfortable, but in my day-to-day -day life, I just feel uncomfortable. And so, but it's not got to the tipping point where you're like, I, I have to change this yet. You know, I can, I can hear the resistance and that's okay. You know, there will come a point in time where you go, no, like this, this needs to change. Now, for some people, unfortunately, it's like when a medical crisis occurs, like they have a heart attack. Right. Go, what? I'm like, not even 40 and I had a heart attack. I'm like, yeah, that shouldn't happen. It used to be like <laughs> in the seven, in people's 70s, this was happening. So, yeah, you got, you got to figure out what, like, what it is you're doing it, why you're doing it, and why you want to change it. And if it's worth it, because everything involves a trade-off. Like, you enjoy drinking whiskey. You enjoy eating pizza. If you're going to change that, like, and don't go into saying, I'm never going to drink whiskey or eat pizza again for, you know, a year till, till I lose the weight. I'm like, well, no, they play a role in your life. 
you might want to adjust how much of a role they play in your life and go, okay, when I'm doing this for comfort, are there other ways that don't involve food that I can, I can find comfort or joy in life? That's a, and, and, and frankly, the reason I, I decided I'll go all in and be honest with, I, I'm hoping someone listening to this is going to say, oh, wow, that, that strikes a chord. You know, I, I, I'm guessing my personal issues are not that uncommon or unique. No, I mean, no, maybe no. they're very specifics, but whether it be tacos and, and tequila or, or yeah, pizza yeah, and, you know, uh, so it's, it's, uh, and you currently, I mean, you currently coach people basically to, to help with weight yeah. loss. That, that is what I do. I have, my company is called Freedom Nutrition Coaching, and my, the main program I work with people in is called Lifestyle 180. It's this 180-day program where um, we, we help you. I work with you to craft your new way of living, your new lifestyle, so that at the end of it, you're not like, I'm glad that's over. I'm going back to something. It's like, no, we're going to create the lifestyle that moves you towards the health you want to get to, the weight you want to get to, but in a way that you actually enjoy it. And along the way, when you screw up, when you fall into old habits, old behavior patterns, well, that's what the coaching is for. It's like, let's figure out what happens. I don't use people's mistakes as ammunition against them. That doesn't work. Um, but I say, we're going to ask the hard questions, but I'm going to do it in a way that you're going to, like, you felt, for some reason, you felt comfortable sharing. When I just I just asked a couple of probing questions. We didn't get really deep yet, you know, but you, you felt comfortable enough to, to share. And I'm like, awesome. That's what I want to do. I want to create a space where I can ask a question. You can answer them because you know I'm not going to judge you. That's not what I'm doing, you know? And so ultimately it comes back to like compassion is a key component to creating change. The other part of it is when we feel alone, we're very unlikely to create change because uh, biologically it's like, it's scary to be vulnerable and alone. So now if you connect with a coach and you work with a coach or a therapist or a, a practitioner of some sort, well, and I, I have a very relational style of coaching. Like I'm working with you one-to-one. -one. Like you're working with me, the guy you're hearing, you know. Um, it feels safer to be vulnerable because we have to become vulnerable to create change. And vulnerable, it doesn't mean being weak, but it means like we're going to expose some weaknesses. And when those weaknesses are exposed, at least if you feel like you're in a safe environment biologically, like you're, you're going to uncover them. And that's how we can create change. So there's a lot of, so I talk about what I call brain-driven weight loss. And there's, there's a lot of um, stuff that we don't even really think about, like the primal part of our brain, the emotional part of our brain versus the logical part of our brain. How do all these different things work? You know, And so really I try to create um, a program that works with you the way your brain works. Because if we can change your brain, your brain is the driver of your behavior. Change your brain, change your behavior, change your life. Yeah, it's uh, uh you know, you one one quick thing I want to mention. Yeah. Uh the vulnerability, I I I like to I've actually said this before, <clears throat> probably not on the podcast, but I always one of my greatest strengths is being able to be vulnerable, and I don't think people view it that way. It's uh yeah. you, you're actually stronger if you're able to let your guard down and and show your weaknesses. That's actually a a strength. It speaks to confidence. Right. Right, and, and I, I, one of my vulnerabilities is I'm a not very self confident person, person, but I'm willing to be walked on, or you know, again, good, good people. Uh, I feel like they uh, respond to someone showing their vulnerable side. A lot of people respond positively to that because they're they good people. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a time and a place for vulnerability. There's a time and a place where it's actually not appropriate. Mm-hmm as well and so it's, it's kind of knowing that because vulnerability itself has a bit of an allure to it if you post a vulnerable post on social media you'll get a lot of likes and comments and they'll feel really good the problem is a lot of them are just sort of empty like they're yeah. well-meaning they are well-intentioned good people saying good things with a good meaning in their heart but that's easy that's easy to do that and just carry on with your day and just keep scrolling social media after you left that nice heartwarming comment right the hard thing is to actually come and connect with you like a human being and go, let's let's work on this together. Let's do the hard stuff together. So when we start in this process and then you face plant into an entire pizza and make it disappear and then drown that in a bottle of whiskey, we go, okay, well, let's figure out what's happening here. That's the hard stuff. That's the stuff that we're not so, you know, on, on in Canada, we have like Bell, Let's Talk. Bell is a you know, telecom company. And yeah. uh, it's about talking about mental health. 
I don't know if that, that, that trend has made it down to the U.S. on note of January 26th, I think it is. But it, it's like, that's almost too easy to just like post a feel-good meme on social media or feel-good quote or whatever about on social media and then kind of be done with it for the, you know, the, the, the year. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to do the actual human work. Um, but like, that's, that's what I do as a coach. That's why I work with people because it was a coach who showed me compassion, a male coach, you know, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect as a male to talk about compassion. I didn't expect as a male to talk about vulnerability or to talk about emotions or things like that, but we all have them. Like all of us, my wife used to call me the tin man because like, <laughs> I, right. I kept everything hidden, but the reality is they were all there. I was just afraid to show it because I thought if she saw it, she would think I was weak. Turns out she didn't. She's still with me and she loves me more because I'm more human, right? Emotions make us human. Yes. So, you know, if we can create the space for compassionate awareness, we can, we can really genuinely create change. And so I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but like my goal when I work with somebody is that they wouldn't have to diet again because we've, we've done the hard work, the real work to create the, the permanent change, the shift in identity. You know, I went from being the athlete to the jolly fat guy. You know, we might have to save this for another conversation, really. But, <laughs> you know, um, we talk about your sense of identity. So right now, if your sense of identity is I'm a divorced alcoholic who loves pizza, your <laughs> behaviors, you will act that identity out on repeat. That's a uh, that's a uh, an extremely good point. <laughs> right. Insightful. Yeah. So your sense of identity your brain wants to keep that secure. And so it will act that on repeat. So when you we talk about transformation, there has to be a shift in identity. So I've went from being the jolly fat guy who was the garburator who ate everything in sight. You know, that was my, that was the identity that I adopted to basically justify my overeating to the, the dad who's staying in shape because he wants to be able to play with his kid. Yeah. That's a, uh, uh, that's, uh, that, that, that touches home for me and I'm hoping, you know, uh, usually I keep things pretty light on the podcast, but I do like to teach people things and I'm hoping some people listening are, uh, this is hitting home. Uh, and if it's just me, then, well, oh, well, you get to listen to my own little mini <laughs> therapy session. <laughs> well, we, 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 it means that we've had a, had a good conversation, right? So... Yeah. And uh, Jonathan, you're an extremely intelligent person. I Just from your bio, I know you have a background in nanotechnology. Yeah. So I don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> it sounds that, smart. Just, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a chemistry. I did chemistry and marketing psychology at University of Victoria in, in Canada here. And um, nanotechnology is just working with things at a very small scale, molecular scale. So you have on the metric system, you have like a meter. And then you have like a centimeter, so there's 100 centimeters in a meter, a millimeter, so there's 1,000 millimeters in one meter. Then you have a micrometer, so there's a million micrometers in a meter. Then you have nano, so nano is the next small size down. So it's like a billion nanometers in one meter. So it's dividing a meter, which is like three feet, four inches for, for the imperial system, um, a meter it divided into a billion parts that's the size scale of like molecules that i was working with essentially in chemistry um but we don't have to bore everybody with the, the fine details <laughs> basically you created the ant-man technology right there there you go so, yeah <laughs> it was actually blue blu-ray technology i was working on many years ago but uh yeah yeah uh jonathan so um to wrap this up, where can people find you, your your website, uh, you know, yeah. all that stuff? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, let's put a couple things out there. If you want to just reach out to me, Coach John, Coach J-O-N, at freedomnutritioncoach.com. We can put these in the show notes too. Yes. Um, website being freedomnutritioncoach.com. Um, if, you want, uh, if you want to see content like this on YouTube, it's no FN diets dot rocks forward slash YouTube. No F and diet dot rocks forward slash YouTube. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what we call a vanity URL, but it's more memorable than YouTube.com slash blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. what mine is. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's, it's no F and diets dot rocks forward slash YouTube. 
you know, um, and if, if people want a free resource um, to help out with like the cravings and things like that, nighttime eating, binge eating, because I'm a former binging food addict, um, it's nofndiets.rocks forward slash crush dash your dash cravings. So nofndiets.rocks slash crush your cravings. Um, you throw in your email address and, and name, and I'll email you a copy of my, my it's about 25 pages. Um, shows you, you know, four strategies to really deal with like cravings, nighttime eating, binge, that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you a couple stories of why people succeed in my program, of course. So. Nice. Well, Jonathan, you have been, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you and, uh, uh, educational at least. Uh, I, I looked a little deeper inside of myself than maybe I expected to, but. (laughs) Hey man, that's, that's awesome. It's an absolute pleasure. And, um, I'm actually just reviving my own podcast called wellness unplugged. And so maybe we'll have you, uh, have you come back on sometime and we'll we'll have a heartfelt conversation because the whole idea behind wellness unplugged is going to be that we have these heartfelt conversations. It's kind of like, um, I'm envisioning like when you unplug the neon lights of Las Vegas and you see the underbelly, you see the gritty side of it, the raw human side of it, as opposed to the shiny flashing lights kind of thing. It's like, let's talk about the reality of trying to create change in your life. And so nice. um, that's, that's coming up. So excellent. Well, definitely, uh, 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 shoot me, uh, when that's coming back up, shoot me an email so I can, uh, I'll make sure I mention it, uh, uh, on my podcast next time, uh, when it, when it gets going. I'm sure it'll be no F and diets dot rocks forward slash wellness unplugged podcast. <laughs> no, that's what it, I'm, I'm, I'm already predicting. That's what I'm going to make the vanity link. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, All right, yeah. Jonathan, thanks again. I appreciate uh, your time and uh, uh, enjoy the, the little bit of uh, warmness that re- will remain in Canada for the next couple weeks. <laughs> absolutely, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was it. Jonathan McLernan. Uh, hopefully was relatable and not just a... Uh, <laughs> the, the second half there, a bit of a uh, personal uh, therapy session for myself and my problems dealing with food, but uh, he brings up a good point. And I think, you know, I, I know uh, for some people it's sweets. Uh, sweets are something I never eat or crave, but... Yeah, pizza, whiskey, that's my jam. Anyways, uh, thanks to Jonathan. Uh, if you you know if you think you could benefit you know from using him as a, a nutritional coach, uh, all his links are below. Uh, really easy guy to uh, talk to, and I might be talking to him again on his podcast potentially down the road. If I do, I will let you all know. Uh, which will, you know, probably just get to deeper and darker secrets about me. One secret I'll tell you is, uh, you know, when you start drinking at one o'clock for a podcast interview, uh, if you keep drinking, you know, you're, you're going to get pretty drunk before you fall asleep. I, I woke up and, uh, I have a lint roller that I keep by my keys and wallet all downstairs, you know, same place, never lose keys, wallet, because they're always the same place, but I have a lint roller that I keep next to that, so in case I need it, before I leave, I can hit myself with it, Uh, never moves from there, but for some reason, I woke up, and it was upstairs, on the top of the railing, upstairs, I have no idea what I was doing with said lint roller, no recollection of using it. I did not go anywhere. Uh, so, anyone's guess. It's not quite as weird as when I found a remote control in my toaster. Uh, that was a good six months ago, I think. Uh, that was harder to explain uh, because, you know, maybe I just... No, no, I can't explain either one of those things. Uh, I'm, I, I, I need to look into those cop body cams and, and consider getting one for myself and just, if I plan on, uh, having a good night of drinking, just, just strap that on so I can maybe recount what the hell happened the night before. Uh, whew. Anyways, the, uh, 
<laughs> I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you continue to share it with people. And if you haven't shared it with people, I hope you consider sharing it with people. Uh, and, you know, if you love this podcast, great. Uh, I I like having a variety of guests because you don't have to like all of them. You know, it's it's like uh, Joe Rogan. Try to listen to his podcast, but I'm not spending three hours listening to him talk to somebody I don't particularly care for. So, anyways, like, subscribe, share, comment, uh, all of those things. And uh, let's keep the momentum going. We're got into the top 10% globally. Let's shoot for the top 5%. Maybe by the... Uh, the end of 2021. So we got we got a little bit of time. So help me out. I will love you forever. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll try to uh, cut back just a smidge on the whiskey and a little bit more on the, the pizza. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but hope you enjoyed it. Uh, don't, don't leave your remote controls in toasters or... Uh, you know, I don't know what the hell I was doing with this lint roller, but I'm I'm questioning whether I should throw it out. Mm. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your days, your night, whenever you're listening to it. Peace.